0: Welcome back to Talent Hub Talk. I'm delighted to be joined by Andy Forbes and Joseph Cubon, both Salesforce architects and also two of the authors of ChatGPT for Accelerating Salesforce Development. It was great to hear how they came to know each other, as well as how they got together to write the book along with Paco Falder and Philip Safir. We discussed how and when they first became interested in AI, how they are using AI day to day at present, where they feel it will be used by Salesforce professionals in the future and some of the things people and companies should be aware of. There is so much valuable information in this episode, and it's a must listen for anyone interested in AI and Salesforce. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Welcome to the show, Andy. Joseph, great to have you here.
1: Thank you for having me. Great to be here.
0: So we've got a lot to unpack today. I think a lot of our listeners will have seen some content, maybe um, even um, got their hands on a copy of the the, the book so far, or, or will be planning to. So we're going to um, talk about the book and, and the journey to writing the book. But I always like to find out a bit more about you both first. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about how you both know each other, how your kind of paths have crossed in the past, and um, a bit about your careers today? And, and maybe we'll start with yourself, Joseph.
1: Sure. Thanks for asking. So. My name is Joseph Kuban. I'm a Salesforce technical architect, Salesforce MVP, 40 times certified. I've taken on a new role at Astound Commerce as the global VP of Salesforce platform architecture. They're a commerce company out of New York City, Salesforce Commerce. I've been in the ecosystem about 14 years or so now, give or take. I started at iHeartRadio and knew I'd be was a business analyst knew I would become an architect uh, one day. I was sitting in front of a room with a bunch of people and the project manager said, Joseph, your computer is blocking the projector and I moved the projector and then said to the room, did everybody see only one solution to the problem, me closing my laptop? So I've enjoyed technology, I've enjoyed the ecosystem, Salesforce being a trailblazer. And that's my backstory in a nutshell. I met Andy during my last gig at Capgemini when I entered the consulting world. That's how we knew each other. Uh, Learned a lot from him about architecture and delivery. Andy? Uh, Let's see.
2: First touched a computer in 1977, backed into Salesforce in 2002. As I tell people, I've been doing IT delivery, entering my fifth decade of doing IT delivery my third of doing it with Salesforce, my second of doing it for Capgemini, and my third year of using AI to do it. uh, As Joseph said, we met at Cap. I'm currently the Capgemini America Salesforce CTO. Still having a good time trying to figure out how to make Salesforce do things that they don't always agree that
0: it can do, but somehow we figure it out. And just for listeners that have have seen a copy of the book or seen it online, you're not the only authors, and there's two others. So how did this all come together, and, and what got you and the other two authors on the path of writing the book?
2: I got approached, I wrote a bunch about a year ago when uh, OpenAI released ChatGPT back in, in late 2022. Uh, I wrote a bunch and posted it to LinkedIn and some other places, Forbes.com. Uh, uh, as I, I think I mentioned, I belong to the technology council there. Uh, and the people from PACT, our publisher, reached out to me and asked if I'd be interested in writing a book. And my answer was, yeah, but I don't want to do it by myself. I want to get some people that, that know all the different parts of it. And that's when I reached out to, to Joseph, uh, to Paco, who is the Cap Gemini Spain Salesforce CTO, and Philip Safir, who at the time was basically in charge of delivery for the Cap Gemini America Salesforce practice. Philip has subsequently left Cap as well, but but that was his role. So I figured I kind of had the A team here of people to help put the book together. It would make me Clubber
0: Lane? No, Mr. T. <laughs> How is that, Joseph, to be pulled in and uh, and seen as, uh, as someone that could be a valuable author to the book as well? I appreciated
1: the opportunity. I had not thought about actually writing a book before, but I'm very prevalent. Uh, or I make a point of getting very involved in the Salesforce ecosystem as an MVP and speaking at the conferences. And at Dreamforce last year, I spoke with Andy Bergman, the senior vice president trailhead, on a panel about how our roles as Salesforce administrators or architects would be evolving with AI. And that lent itself very well to the idea that the book touches on all of the disciplines involved in the delivery of a project really from inception to delivery from business analysts to product owners, from admins to architects, to testers, to change management, and how you go about doing documentation. There are segments and chapters written really for everybody who's involved in the delivery process. It's not just hardcore sit in front of your computer and I'm gonna be a coder. Although those sections are in here, it helped everybody in that delivery lifecycle understand how their role can be positively impacted through the use of the technology.
0: Yeah, nice. Uh, Andy, I picked up on something you mentioned before around, uh, obviously, the the periods of time you've been working with different things. and you, I think you said three years um, working with AI. And obviously, it's very much front and center right now. Everyone's talking about it. You know, the world went chat GPT crazy over the last kind of year or so. So three years ago was when you started working. When did you first become interested? And what prior um, AI tools or use cases in the Salesforce space have people maybe not seen, not noticed, but have been around and been used?
2: I first encountered AI reading trashy science fiction novels in the 1970s, (laughs) in college in in the late 70s and early 80s took a couple of different classes, a a Lisp programming class and a philosophy class on AI. The basic debate in the philosophy class is would AIs ever meet the Turing test? Would they ever be people? Well, no, they're not, but no more than cars or horses, but they still replace them. I've encountered AI several times in my career subsequently, but it's never been directly useful until maybe the last 10 years. And and I want to touch on the fact that there's two flavors. There's predictive AI and there's generative AI. Predictive AI has been around for a while now. It's why you're you're you know when you use your credit card somewhere odd they they go huh maybe that's not you. It's when you when you apply for a loan. It's all of that right now. Uh, Salesforce has had predictive AI. I mean, was it 2018, 2017, Joseph? 2018 when they made the big, made the big push at Dreamforce. Yeah, I was I was there and I had a client that was there and. And they basically went to Salesforce and said, who do I make the checkout to? And I think it was sometime the following year before they could actually buy what they were looking for. But Salesforce has been doing predictive AI for a while now, five, six years. It's generative AI that in the last couple of years, in the last year for sure has gotten front and center and gotten everybody fired up.
0: How would you explain the differences then for someone that doesn't know? So predictive AI is
2: generally consumes a bunch of data for example, all of your leads and opportunities for the last three years, and looks for patterns. That's what does lead scoring that says, you know something, this lead gets a higher score because I'm gonna predict that it's like a bunch of other leads that got converted. Generative AI, as it says, generates content, it generates new novel content. So the people that run the large language models, have, in most cases, have consumed the entire internet and more, so that it has all that knowledge in its head. So when you say, I need Apex to do a call-out to send the account address to a, an external system, it knows what you're talking about because it's consumed all of GitHub, all of Stack Overflow, all of the internet, and it can generate that new and novel content from, from a single prompt. So it, for generative AI, it's not consuming you know 50,000 lead records from the last three years. That's predictive AI. Right now, you'll find people that because generative AI is cool, want to use it to do things that, frankly, it's not really a fit for. It's a, it's a fit for what we use in the book for writing documentation, for writing code, you know, for getting directions on how to do testing. But it's not necessarily something that's generative AI is not going to predict which lead of the 50 that have been assigned to you is the most likely to have you down in the islands vacationing next winter.
1: The easiest place to see predictive AI in everybody's daily life, Ben, is when they go and they purchase something on Amazon, and Amazon says, and other consumers also bought X, Y, and Z, because they're looking at the pattern of related products for purchasing and suggesting to you, you forgot to buy the other things you need.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. You, uh, just then, uh, Andy, you mentioned a couple of um, things that the book touches on around how the products that are available can be used, the tools can be used to, to help people in their day-to-day job. And um, Andy, how do you see AI changing the roles of Salesforce professionals, not just the day-to-day tasks that, that can be done, but overall, like what, what, what do you see the changes that are coming? And do you think there's certain roles that will evolve quicker than others? I can tell
2: you how we use it in the, the organization I'm a part of. And that is as an assistant, as an accelerator, it's not going to replace people. I mean, I mean, who knows? I can't predict the future. But right now, from what we're seeing, it's not going to replace people. What it does, though, is it makes you faster. So even, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. If I need to write some code, if I need to look something up, it's a little bit quicker to just type, write me a call out than it is for me to go, oh, God, put my brain in, have a cup of coffee and, and try to write 50 lines of Apex. It, it can type it faster than I can write it. I would say where it's going to have a larger impact is for people earlier in their careers. Because earlier in your career, you have to go to Google. You have to go to Bing. I'm going to be fair. There are other search engines. Uh, you have to go research stuff. You have to read the Salesforce documentation. You've got to try to make sense of it. Maybe you go to Stack Overflow and see some examples. It can take a while. And, and it's going to shortcut all of that. Because just like I would do it, you'll you know the, the more junior people, all they have to know is it's, it's a call out. And they, then they write the prompt. Whenever the address, whenever the account record changes and the address changed, send the new address to an external system. It's way faster to type that prompt than it is to go figure out how you do an integration, what an integration pattern is, how you write the Apex, how you set up OAuth, how you get a connect, you know, It just it takes care of all that for you. So it's, it's going to accelerate. I think for a lot of people, it's going to make them much better at what they do. And that's spanning... Testing, writing code, doing configuration, writing flows. That, that's one of the chapters in the book that belong to Joseph. It's writing documentation. It's creating test data. All those things that literally it can type faster than you can, even if you know how to do it. And certainly if you're a little bit fuzzy, it, it's a huge boost.
0: What about Joseph at the architect level then? You both operate at the architect level. A lot of the tasks there are the, the lower level, like you said, but are you using it day-to-day as an architect?
1: not day-to-day, but regularly, yes, you know, because ultimately, like, there's things you can prompt, and the book is good at how to craft the prompt. That's what we do. And even the flow, for example, will give you the steps you need to produce a flow. So I, as an architect, could sit down and prompt, Hey, what are the pieces that I need to take into account to build a a uh, secure connection between Salesforce and Snowflake and it's going to delineate all of the considerations what are the benefits what are the risks you know and uh, you're going to get the generative AI go ahead and spit back to you these are the things you need to consider and do you ha- have you addressed all of those in your design you know well i didn't think about that in my design i need to go ahead and put that in, right? I had been working on integration today, brand new job, brand new client, first real working session, and walking through things that have to be taken into account for a successful integration. Like, are you gonna have an integration user? Are you gonna, what are you gonna do about password and token? What are you gonna do about the password never expires? If you use a regular user account and your password expires, then you're going to go ahead and break your integration. And some of that might be common sense to us as architects who are doing the hands-on keyboard work. But when we're having to present that documentation and a delivery to a new set of customers, we're able to accelerate how we ramp them up and get them familiar with the concepts and the scalability of our designs. And ChatGPT is going to help with that.
0: I mean, it seems like a no-brainer, right? Like, even if it's used as like a safety net, right? What didn't I think of? I'm going to come up with all the ideas I have, but what, what's the thing that was in my um, blind spot that I didn't see? Like, even for that use case, I think it makes sense, right?
2: Yep, and, and I I want to say, too, from an, an architecture standpoint or an architect standpoint, I got asked recently, hey, what would it take to build an Angular front end that uses GraphQL to update Salesforce data? And holding in advance my first question, which is why would you do that? The reality is I've, I've, it's been a long time since I've written JavaScript out, outside of what you do in Salesforce for a living. Uh, and I was able to go in and, and ask chat GPT, hey, I need to build an Angular front end that uses GraphQL to maintain Salesforce data. How would I do that? And in half an hour, it, it walked me through the different parts. It told me what server side, what's server-side, what's client-side, how I would build it, what the tools I need. It recommended some of the tools. It recommended training. I could have figured that out myself, but I would have spent days with, with our friend Google and our friend Bing trying to figure this out. And as it was, it, it, half an hour, an hour, I had a great answer for the question, how would I go about building an Angular front-end using GraphQL to maintain data, maintain data in Salesforce?
0: So, I mean, it all sounds awesome, right? But what are the risks? Like, what should companies, what should individuals be aware of? Because there has to be something.
1: Yeah, nothing's
0: perfect. The
1: AI at this time is not a replacement of any one person in a role. It doesn't absolve you of needing to check it, needing to validate the accuracy. A blog I published just last week calls out On the surface, the AI can be wrong. It can be. There are elements and things addressed in that blog about how to mitigate that. Like, are you using a free version or the paid version? How have you set up the brief? How have you set up the instructions? What context have you told the AI you are when you're asking the question? Like, I have my wife's a teacher and teaches sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, and there are seventh graders who turn in papers with words they've never heard of because they didn't tell the AI that they're a seventh grader. And the AI isn't writing something for a seventh grader to turn in. The AI is coming back with things you would only learn in like college biology and a seventh grader would have no clue what to do with that word, and it's glaringly obvious, right? So there's a whole bunch of things that go into how do you prepare it to be successful? And it comes back to, and this might be something we touch on a little bit later, like just because you can build it in Salesforce doesn't mean you should build it in Salesforce, right? There are different times where Just because things are possible or capable, um, open to you doesn't mean that that's the right solution. You have to look for those paths forward to bring about value, to not make someone's life harder by making it more clicks, right? And so ultimately, like you as a person have to review the material that's generated by the AI. You have to test it it's not, hey, it's perfect, go straight to production. We would never advocate that. We still believe that code needs to be tested. You need to put it in there. I loved this the other night. Andy and I were doing a different session. And in the demo, Andy was showing the group of people how to use it. Andy knew to ask the OpenAI to generate positive and negative test cases. But maybe people don't know that they got to write negative test cases. So you're going to learn a lot just because different people have different expectations. I remember a project a long, long, long time ago, my very first Salesforce implementation at iHeartRadio. And I had a tester create a bug that says you could enter negative credit. And I, as the developer, lost my mind saying, who in God's name would ever give negative credit, have you ever applied for a credit card and had the visa come back and say to you, your credit limit is a negative $5,000, right? So you just have to think through like, what's the intended purpose? What were you supposed to do? What got introduced? What is it doing that it's not supposed to be doing? And humans still have to bring all of those building blocks together.
2: Yep. Oh well, two things. The first is for anybody that's wondering where I am. It's below freezing and snowing right now, and I live in a 200-year-old house. And 200 <laughs> years ago, stone walls were considered insulation. So my office right now is about 57 degrees Fahrenheit. Hence the clothes you see me wearing, and the fact that that water bottle is sitting on a little heater. So I'm actually drinking heated water so I don't freeze while I'm talking to you guys. Uh, the other thing I want to say is that. For anybody that's watching this, that's still writing test classes themselves, if I could reach through this camera and smack you, I would. Because my gosh, why would you do that? Why would you not take your Apex, drop it into chat GPT and say, write me my positive and negative test classes? I get why Salesforce insists that we have test class coverage for Apex but I mean, they should just add a button that you can push in Salesforce that'll write them because nobody should be writing those anymore. We should all just be having an AI do it for us. The same is true with commenting. Look, for years, we've all been told you should comment. I don't comment my Apex anymore because when I'm done, I'm just and it works. I'm just going to drop into the tool and say, put in inline comments and a comment header for me and, and credit me as the writer. I mean, these are the kind of things that, that we're transitioning to. Again, ba- back to being an accelerator. There are parts of what we've been doing for decades, all well, I've been doing for decades in the Salesforce world, that I'm a little bummed because all these things I've learned how to do are, are being handled by AI tools for me.
0: Do you think there'll be like certain companies that enforce that that's done or or, inf- or are scared by the concept of that and enforce that it's not done like that? So
2: you guys will appreciate this more than most. When I started doing Salesforce again, 20, 2002, 22 years ago, I can't tell you how many times I tell somebody I was using Salesforce and it was getting pressed by then. This was a couple of years after they launched and they were starting to get pressed. I can't tell you how many times I would say I'm using Salesforce and people would look at me and go, you're putting your sales data in the cloud. <laughs> I mean, come on, guys. Yeah. We all are. Everybody's putting everything in the cloud and no one really stresses about it anymore. AI is the same way. Right now, the same people that 20 years ago were going, you're putting your data in the cloud, are going, you're using AI. They'll get over it. We'll all use it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I have, I have a similar feeling. So, um, Joseph, obviously you're both in consulting. You've both been in consulting for, for a while. How do you see the role of Salesforce consultancies evolving with AI in this, obviously in the Salesforce space?
1: Actually, it's a leverage from uh, what we were just talking about. It's all about accelerating value. I think that the opportunity for consultancies is to deliver the more rudimentary stuff quicker, like an APEX test class and the stability of the code, and it opens the door for more value-added strategic initiatives. If you think about delivery in an ad, um, typically a cloud development um, is very iterative. Most people would presume it's agile in nature, right? You, if you understand that, you know you've built a backlog and you know your business is setting the priority and cherry picking as you plan your sprint. Let me do this, this, this and this. Right? There's a certain amount of work that you have that runs the business and then you have then there's a certain amount of work that you have that changes the business. And the run the business work always edges out the change the business work from a priority perspective. And so as you do as you can get better at and deliver the run the business work faster, you have more opportunity for the change the business work. And you can bring about more value by turning attention to what you've, what your, the strategic items that you're getting to that would normally otherwise wait, right? If it's very quickly like, you know, fix the validation rule, boom, done. Now you've got more time in your sprint for building a new marketing campaign, right? So that's ultimately how for consulting firms are going to have to adapt and where they're going to look to bring about impact with AI.
2: I don't want to talk too much guys up, but I do want to make the point that one of the things we talk about in the book as well is taking existing, there's actually a chapter called Uh, working on Apex, somebody else wrote. And one of the things we do is demonstrate that you can take existing code, drop it into an AI and say, what's wrong with this? You don't even have to say, this is what's wrong, fix it. You can literally drop it in and go, how would you fix this? What's wrong with this? What, What things did this programmer do that they shouldn't have done? If they pick terrible variable names, you can actually drop it in and go, fix all the variable names so they actually kind of reflect what was intended to be done with them, uh, which means that at least the lower quality coding technical debt you can fix really quickly with these tools. And it'll do a pretty good job of analyzing some of the more complex code with much more subtle technical debt. So I think one of the, the things that, that Joseph and I've talked about is the idea that I mean, what slows all of us down in, in mature orgs is you may not want to call it technical debt, but it's just the complexity of the existing org, with some of it being technical debt. And if, if we can drop an you know, parachute an AI in and have it address some of the technical debt so that the new stuff can be done more quickly, if we can have it clean the org up, if we can have it recommend the best way to implement some of the new stuff, I think that's gonna be Hugely impactful, but it is not going to be, you know, click, click, and you're done. This is the kind of thing where you're going to need a Joseph, uh, a Paco, uh, uh, somebody that not only understands Salesforce really well, but really understands the capabilities of the AI tooling. So I'm optimistic that the kind of firms that Joseph and I work for will continue to be relevant for years to come.
0: And it's, it's really interesting that you comment about poor code or historically written poor code because now there's kind of no excuse for that anymore, right? Like maybe in the past, um, someone putting poor code into an org was, it wasn't acceptable, but it kind of happened and people made careers, unfortunately, out of doing that. But there's no excuse anymore.
1: Code needs to be maintained under any circumstance, right? And it might not necessarily be, was it poor code? but it could have been the methods that were available to them for writing that code at that time. If you open up a mature org, one that's as old as Andy, and you'll see that some of it is written on API 17. Well, when we're on API 57, 58, 59 now, I forget the number, Right, there's a huge difference, and even as Salesforce sends out communication, we're retiring these API numbers, and everything's forward compatible, and we're not going to break anything. But you still should go change your things. There have been logic changes in methods over time, and methods have been deprecated and replaced. And so it's not that it's necessarily you're not intending to say someone wrote something bad. It's they wrote it with what they knew at that time and even the generative ai its capabilities aren't up to the minute current with the spring 24 release that just came out or is coming out give or take when you're listening to this podcast but it's only got data available to it up to some particular point in time april 23. so if you were to ask it to do something relative to a new feature like in winter 24, Salesforce introduced the ability to produce PDFs and Lightning Web Components.
2: Oh, did they finally do that for you?
1: They did. They did. I was very <laughs> excited. I made a big deal about it on true at a uh, True to the Core session at Trailblazer DX. And I got to participate with Salesforce being the BA, telling them what we would want it to do and testing it. But it finally got released in, in winter 24 this past fall, November, December. And so now you can produce a PDF in a lightning web component calling PDF drivers and rendering it that way inside of Salesforce. But if you were to ask ChatGPT to do that, it would not know because it's only got material as of April 2023, right? So you have to keep that in mind, right? Some of the newest things you want to do, they're not available in AI.
0: Andy, I'm going to, uh, a forward-looking statement. H- how do you feel the the next couple of years, what do you feel it's going to look like as we see AI really start to be rolled out across the enterprise?
2: Well, I'm, I'm going to start by saying that uh, I don't know what the retirement age is in Australia. In the U.S., it's somewhere between 65 and 67, and I'm getting pretty close. So at this point, this is more for fun than anything else. And having said that, it does look, like there's going to be a lot of AI everywhere. My suspicion would be that obviously Salesforce is adding AI features. Uh, other other companies, you know, vendor product vendors like Adobe, like SAP, like Siebel, like Microsoft. Obviously, everybody's adding AI to their their enterprise applications as quickly as they can. I also think there's going to be enterprise AI. Uh, you know, the the Google Vertex, the Amazon uh, Azure OpenAI, the, the Amazon Bedrock, we're going to end up in a world where Salesforce, we work with AI tools in Salesforce, and we integrate Salesforce with enterprise AI. And I think the enterprise AI, we talked about predictive and generative AI a couple minutes back, I think the enterprise AIs will consume data from all the different applications from the the enterprise data warehouse to build predictions that span CRM, that span finance, that span supply chain, that span ERP, that span all of that different knowledge, as well as generative AI that can answer a question for me, for example, if I'm a sales rep that takes into account the supply chain, the financial status of the vendors, whether or not we've got the people in place in our factory to get the widgets built, so I, I think we're in a, in a world where there's just for a while, there's just gonna be AI, AI in everything. It's gonna be everywhere and it's gonna take us a while to figure out exactly how it stabilizes. But I do think there's gonna be AI in the apps we work in and enterprise AI that we integrate with.
1: If you look at the advancement of technology, even during my lifetime, right? And there are those moments in time where different industries have have to incorporate technology in order to continue. Anybody remember Kodak? Another example is I bought a brand new car in November, a a 2024 Honda Accord, and the thing can tell me, not that I would recommend this to anybody, please don't do this, (laughs) but I had momentarily taken my hands off the steering wheel at an intersection with my foot on the brake I lifted my foot off the brake, my hands were going back to the steering wheel, and the dashboard said, put your hands on the steering wheel. Like it knew I was not stopped and my hands weren't on the steering wheel and warned me. So like that's the, that's how smart cars are now, right? We're seeing cars that are being tested without a driver, learning the roads, being able to detect. There's a pothole, there's construction. I have to reroute myself. Our Google Maps, like that wasn't what Henry Ford thought about, right? And people were afraid, like, hey, we're used to horses, we don't want cars. And now it's we have cars that drive themselves. We're going to have to get accustomed to the fact that we have smart homes where our appliances can manage things. We can open garage doors or warm up our house from our telephone. Everything's connected, right? What was the buzzword? The internet of things, the IOT. We're continuing to evolve. This is that next evolution. And we either have to embrace it. I put
0: on my blog, you're either riding the wave of change or you're beneath it. So just a couple of final questions. The, the book, you kind of touched on um, different different skill sets or, or roles or, or responsibilities within, the, within a, a delivery team that could utilize it. But who like when you sat down and thought, right, we're gonna write this book, who, who is the target audience? Who's gonna get value from it?
2: The people we work with every day. I don't know about Joseph, I wrote what I wanted to hand to my team at the beginning of every project.
1: Yeah, I do feel that i'm making the case where i'm at now that the book is going to help us with the regular delivery as andy said the people on projects getting them to understand how we can get to other accelerators quicker the strategic work if we embrace the book but i also want to get it in front of clients or people a blog article i wrote a couple weeks back is how do you tell an executive that they need to embrace AI, how do you overcome resistance you have um, when people are like, we're not ready for it. You, you have to think through, you know, if you're concerned about saving money, if you're concerned about increasing revenue, like the you have a stake at understanding the, this technological revolution and you can gain that insight from the various chapters of the book. you know, if you're a product owner, and you're having to manage it and you and you're a product owner you're supposed to be in the business right understanding business operations when someone turns around and says to you you know do you have a process map for your sales process right well no generate me a sales process visio file boom right you know i need a logo for marketing teams i need a logo for a podcast there's new, the the GPTs, the branded GPTs that are coming out, you can ask for it for a logo, it can t- ask you the color palette you want to use, how complex, modern, antique, and it spits out logo pictures that look great. And you think like, you know, the graphic arts industry is being impacted by this, but think about what that does for your marketing team there's a point in time where like it's another good iheart example we were we had to drop everything a development team we had to drop everything to do a campaign for taylor swift's red album when it was coming out um, bob Pittman said we're going to be announcing on every radio station when we're going to be playing the taylor swift song on a different radio station we own and at clear channel we knew all of that we knew what the radio play logs were like so that if Taylor played at 12.05 p.m. on KZEP, we could direct you to Q101 at 12.30 to hear the song again. And so all of that is to some degree AI, right? You're taking your data and you're telling somebody something's going to happen in the future. If you could accelerate that campaign or that idea on the heels of the Super Bowl and go do something and immediately respond to something that's happening in the marketplace and make somebody aware that your existing product already answers a need in the marketplace. It's time to market, time to market, time to value. That's what we're trying to message and how do we accelerate reaching value?
0: Now, I have to ask, before I let you go, we've looked at different ways you can use chat, GPT, uh, GPT products, AI, in the role of a Salesforce professional. What about in the writing of a book? Did you utilize the power of AI for, for writing or editing?
1: I can neither confirm nor <laughs> deny. Oh, no, 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 no. We we
2: totally wrote <laughs> the whole thing ourselves with
1: no help at all. <laughs> this was painstaking time typing words over and yes. over again. yes. That's what, what Joseph said, uh-huh. <laughs> I will say this. There is someone who looked at the book, read the book. I'm not gonna identify him, but I'm gonna make him listen to this podcast when it comes out. There's a person who's like, I know you use this word nuanced a lot, and I've count and I'm gonna check and he scanned the book for nuanced is used thirty seven times throughout particular chapters of the book. If you knew me and Andy, Paco, and Pablo, like some people do, and you're used to long soliloquy-type emails that we would write, pontificate our philosophy of things, those people hear the tone in those chapters. Other than that, we, we just worked hours tirelessly.
0: Nice. Well, look, thank you both so much. I've really enjoyed the chat and I've learned a lot. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm keen to get my hands on a copy of the book. So I'll speak to my friends at Pact and see what they can send my way. But um, but yeah, if anyone's listening and wants to reach out, pick your brains, ask any questions or find the book, where can they do all of that?
1: Yeah, so we're we're obviously on LinkedIn. All of us are on LinkedIn. Paco's on there as Paco, Baldur, not not Francisco, but we're all on there. Off of any one of our LinkedIn pages, you should be able to find a very specific LinkedIn group that we created. Um, It shares the title of the book where you can participate and have a dialogue with us, ask questions about parts of the book. Um, We get notifications, we'll answer and and help you out if you want to, but all of that is um, via LinkedIn. Some of us are on Twitter, I'm on Twitter, or X now but LinkedIn is the most prevalent place.
2: Yeah, I have a Twitter account, but after a month, they still haven't gotten back to me with my double authentication problem. So at some point, yes, LinkedIn and eventually Twitter. I mean, Andy Forbes on
0: both. Awesome, thank you so much.